All right, good morning. So, uh, quick disclaimer. Um, this is going to be... Um, This is going to be a hard message for me to get through. It's been a tough week for our family. Um, someone really close to our family got in a severe car accident this past week. And um, it's a family that... Um, we've done school with since she was a little girl in our community. Our family's um, very close to her. And um, last Tuesday night, she was rushed into surgery and uh, she was fighting for her life. And um, by God's mercy and grace, she's... um, God has spared her life. Um, probably should have got a guest speaker this morning. But God's grace is sufficient. And um, I mean, really, I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather be with no one else than church family. So, um, be praying for us, but more importantly, be praying for this family. They're believers. They go to LifeBridge Church in uh, Rancho Bernardo. Pray for her parents, Jim and Krista, and uh, pray for their daughter, I didn't want to share too much. If you could just just pray for them, okay? It would mean the world to me. If you feel fat, if you feel led to do any prayer and fasting this week uh, for her recovery and healing, that would be amazing. You know, this week I took some vacation time. Uh, to be with my kids. I didn't want my kids to be alone this week. And so, the last few days, I just thought, God, what, what do you want me to talk about? And um, maybe I missed the boat. Um, kind of, was feeling led to go to the Sermon on the Mount and talk about the parable that Jesus shared about building your life either on the rock or the sand. And so singing that last song, I thought maybe I wasn't as in tune with the Spirit the last few days. Um, 
So I kind of want to switch back, but I don't have any notes or anything on that. So um, apologize for just just being very real and raw and honest with you. Um, but we are going to look at God's word and God's word is our source of um, hope and strength. And um, we're going to look at it together. I thought maybe, you know, we all go through a lot of stuff in life. And some people go through more stuff than other people. And in the midst of all of that, no matter what you face, whether it's big stuff or little stuff, God is, he's present and he's near and he hears and he's good and he's kind and he's loving. And so maybe you're going through some stuff in your own life and you just, you just don't know what to do, you know? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to collectively um, challenge us to um, be reminded of some truths uh, this is a message that I have, I've spoken uh, about a um, long time ago in the past, but I thought it would be a perfect passage for us to look at this morning, um, Philippians chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, turn there, Philippians 4, um, verses 6 and 7. Next Sunday, we are... Um, next Sunday, we are... Um, launching our community groups, and uh, so it's going to be a great day, ice cream social, we're going to have all the leaders present, wearing lanyards, and we're going to be really promoting our groups for the fall, and uh, if you're kind of wondering, well, what are these groups? Well, here's what we do, right? So the Bible says that we're, um, as a church family, we're a family, we're God's building, and God's building His church his family, one brick at a time. And so we're interconnected. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the, he's the cornerstone. He's the foundation of the church, of our lives. The church, the Bible says that the church is a flock. We're God's flock. And so uh, we're, uh, Paul uses a metaphor of, of the body to explain what the church is. And uh, just like a physical body has different body parts, the church has different body parts, spiritual gifts. And so we need each other. Just like a body needs all the body parts, we need one another. And so um, we have these community groups that meet during the week for the purpose of um, building friendships and growing spiritually in your walk with God. And really, you're not having to live the Christian life alone. And so... Um, Basically, we encourage people to come Sunday morning, listen to the word, take notes, and then take your message notes to your community group, and then talk about the message, and talk about the word, and talk about God, and what God's doing in your life, and, and, um, and uh, sharing prayer requests, and uh, most groups have some sort of food, you know, so listen, if, you, if nothing sells you on the community groups, maybe food will sell you on community groups. Um, it's just a great time to just build community, get to know people. We need that. So if you're not in a group, no pressure, but I'm going to apply some pressure. You need to be in a group. Like we, we all need a group, right? I'm in a group. 
We, we all need a group. We, we need friends. We need community. We need to hold each other accountable. And um, so, yeah, um, so, so jump in, right? It's, you don't have to buy another book to read another study. Anyways, um, so that's next, next Sunday. And then the following Sunday, um, on the 27th, Steve Kern, uh, who we've been partnering with for these international mission trips, uh, he moved to El Salvador like 38 years ago um, as a missionary to plant a church. And now they're planting churches all over um, Central America, South America. He's going to be preaching on the 27th, which is going to be so great. Um, one service Sunday, so on the 20th and the 27th, um, and you'll get to meet him. All right, Philippians uh, chapter 4. Verses 6 and 7. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Um, you know, there's a, little, um, there's a little prayer that I came across. I thought it was kind of cute. Dear Lord, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, lost my temper, lusted, been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. However, in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of bed. From that point on, I'm going to need your help. I thought that was good. There was a mother that was uh, teaching her three-year-old the Lord's Prayer. For several evenings at bedtime, the child repeated it after the mother. Then one night, the child was ready to go solo. And the mother listened with pride to the carefully enunciated words right up to the end when the child said, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us email. Amen. <laughs> right? Isn't that cute? You know, there's a tendency to act like prayer is about getting stuff from God. But really, it's about getting more of God and to know his will. Prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God and cooperation with that will. You know, I, I heard this, um, this analogy years ago, and I thought it was so good about prayer. If I throw out a boat hook f uh, from a boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will but aligning of my will to the will of God. I believe with all my heart that prayer does change things, right? I do believe that. Um, at the end of the day, we are finite beings. At the end of the day, we don't move God. Prayer moves the heart of God. We don't change the mind of God. That, that is God's prerogative. It's his choosing. It's his doing when and what he wants to do. But we first find the mind of God through prayer, discover God's heart, and then he moves and he changes us. And sometimes he moves and he changes in other people's lives. Jesus on one occasion, he said, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds, and to, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So we see this in the Gospels, this, this, um, uh, the intensity of these three words, ask, seek, knock. Verbs in the Greek are imperative. They're an imperative present tense. They're, con they're indicating continuous action. 
ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. Don't just ask once. This is what Jesus is saying. Let this be the, the, the all-consuming passion of your life. Maybe your spouse doesn't know Jesus. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and, and keep knocking. You know, maybe you're waiting on God, right, for a child. Ask, seek, knock. Whatever that is, whatever God is doing in your life, God wants you to pursue him and get close to him. You know, let's be real for a moment. How should we pray? How should we pray? Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. We should pray, and here's a, here's a great kind of an analogy. We should pray the way our kids ask us for stuff. Especially when they're like toddlers. You, you know, if you got kids, you, you understand two, three, four, five, I mean, really, 16, 17. I mean, they just ask for stuff, man. I mean, but when they're really little, they're just, they're just very persistent. They're persistent little buggers, boogers, man. I mean, they just ask and they just keep asking and, and you try to tell them no or not yet or maybe later, you know. It's like, you know, when you, when you go to the grocery store and, and, and you've done all the shopping and you get to the checkout counter and what do they have at the checkout counter? All the goodies, all the candy bars, all the sugar treats, right? And that's when your kids, it's like they know. It's like the people who designed the layout of the store, they know this is the last ditch effort. This is it, right? We, we got them at the check-in because you're going to be flustered trying to, you know, load the groceries on the conveyor belt and you're talking to the cashier and, you know, Johnny's throwing in candy into the cart, right? He and, you know, or he's asking you and finally you just say yes, but you don't know what you said yes to, right? So Jesus said, listen, I want you to, Ask like your kids ask you for stuff. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and, and keep knocking. Here's point number one. I want you to write this down. Worry is a sin that we, that we all struggle with. Worry is a sin that we all struggle with. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, right? Um, do not be anxious, like do not worry, do not fret, do not freak out, don't stress out about anything. You know, compared to Paul, you have to understand, compared to Paul, I mean, this, this is pretty easy for us. Do you know where Paul's writing the epistle of Philippians? He's writing it from a dark dungeon prison cell. This guy's in chains. He's, he's, he's in in prison, facing persecution because of the gospel, because of the testimony, because of his witness, right? But as believers, we're not facing persecution. There's no prison cell. There's no impending death. But like the Holy Spirit knows exactly what we're going to be facing in life. And the struggle is very real. You know, we, we all worry, right? And Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, don't be anxious about your past. Sometimes we get hung up on our past or past mistakes, past failures, past disappointments. Give those to God. Don't be anxious about your future, which is completely unknown, which we try to control. But God's like, let, that's my job. My job is the future. My job is to control the future of your life. Give that, give that to me. 
Don't be anxious about your future career moves or your stack of bills or maybe some problems in your marriage that maybe you're not on the same page on certain things, right? Paul's like, don't fret about that. Don't let that be the all-consuming thing in your, in your life, in your marriage. Don't, don't fret about your singleness or kids or no kids or retirement or, or health or your relationships. Paul just really echoed what Jesus said. It's not in your notes, but do not be anxious about your life. You know, we, we actually looked at that a few weeks ago. I, I find it interesting that the last two times I've preached has been about worry and anxiety and, and peace. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Don't be anxious about the necessities of life. Life is more than belongings. And I think we get pretty hung up on belongings, don't we? We get really hung up on belongings. We get really, really consumed with belongings. But all of the belongings is way down the list of what matters the most in life. What matters most is not what you own. What matters most is who owns you. The God of your life. The God who saved you. The God who forgave you. The God who made you right with him because of Jesus. The God who did that amazing swap He took your sin, all of your sin, and he gave you the righteousness of Jesus. When you place faith in Christ, God does this spiritual, inward, regenerative, transforming work in your life that only God can do. You are justified in the eyes of God because God sees you through his son. You are morally perfect in every way because the record that Jesus had, which was perfection, has been applied to you. And so that's what matters most, walking with God, right? Not being anxious about um, the, the future. You know, worry really is tied to, the, to a fear of the future. And the future is unknown, but we try to control it. And only God is big enough to control it. We believe that God is sovereign, I like what George Mueller said. He said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. I think that's so good. When we allow faith to trigger in our lives, then anxiety will begin to slowly kind of fade away. It never goes away because just because you're a believer... You still have the old sinful nature. And that sinful nature will always be there to the day you take your last dying breath. So you have this old sinful nature, but you have this new man. You have the spirit of God living within you. And it's this constant battle between evil and good, right? Unrighteousness and righteousness. And so which, which one is gonna win? I like what, Someone said years ago, and uh, I wrote it down, which one's going to win? The one you feed more. The one you feed more. If you feed the spirit in your life, you're going to experience victory in your life. If you don't feed the spirit in your life, and you, and you feed the sinful nature and just living for self, then that's what's going to be consuming um, in your life. 
you know, um, Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. It's amazing what uh, power of words can do in our lives. A good word can make you glad. A good word can strengthen you. You know, anxiety, worry has the power to break you down. It has the power to crush you and, and uh, discourage you and slow you down and, and change your outlook on life. I, I like the end of that proverb, but a good word makes him glad. There is power in our words, especially to one another. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. You can speak death over someone, or you can speak life over someone. You can destroy or you can build up. We have the power within us in our words. You know, worry causes us to lose sight of of many things. I think when we begin to fret and worry, we, we kind of forget that God's in control. We kind of forget about the Isaiah 6 vision. Isaiah had this grand, glorious, majestic view of God, high and lifted up, the train of his robe filling the temple and and the seraphim, these blazing ones, literally, that's what it means, blazing ones, these, these blazing angelic creatures are echoing back and forth in the throne room of heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When we worry, we forget about that vision. When we worry, we forget about all the miracles that God has done in the Bible. Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. When we forget, when we worry, we forget about God's past faithfulness and what God has done in our lives and how he's proven himself faithful time and time and time again. I'm reminded of Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, that's you, that's me. This principle and the promise that I'm getting ready to read applies to believers. If you're a believer, this applies to you. Anchor your life to this verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. There's a lot of stuff in life that we just don't understand. We're not going to have an answer to. But we know that if we love God, God can accomplish good. He can bring about good ends, even though there's bad circumstances. And how God does that, I don't know. It's, it's, we, have, we leave that to the mind of God, the mystery of God, right? The, 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 the everlasting character and nature of God. We just trust that God is, is sovereign and God is big enough to hold the universe and your life in his hands and he is going to accomplish good in your life and put a spotlight on his glory. I like what Chuck Swindoll said. He said, when you accept the fact that sometimes seasons are dry and times are hard and, and that God is in control of both, you will discover a sense of divine refuge because the hope then is in God and not in yourself. You know, we're gonna experience difficult days and dry seasons and it's gonna cause us to either, either lean into God's heart and trust him or it's gonna cause us to be bitter and to be fearful and to doubt the goodness of God and, and to disbelieve God, God is really good. You know, when we worry, we, we doubt that God is sovereign. We, we lose sight that God has a plan for our lives. Um, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I mean, think about this. Do you know that God has a plan for your life? That this is, this is the beautiful principle, right? I mean, Jeremiah, um, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is giving us a truth that's relevant and timeless. You're not an accident. You bear the image of God. God has a wonderful plan for your life. God has a plan for our future, and the future is good. I know, he says, I know the plans I have for you. God has thought more about your future and more about your life than you have. He says, I know the plans I have for you. God's plans are so much better than our plans. You know, when we worry, we fail to recognize that God is sovereign. We sometimes fail to see God's plan for our lives. Sometimes we feel like God will God has abandoned us. Hebrews 13, five to six says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. What a powerful promise. He says, God says, stop and think about this for, for a moment. The God who spoke and everything came into being The God who sent his son Jesus, who lived a sinless, perfect life, who died on that cross, who was buried and rose again the third day, that God who indwells within you, that God who, who has moved into your life because by faith you've trusted him, that God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am your helper in the face of fear. Jesus tells us at the end of his life before he goes back to the Father, he says, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's a forever promise. You know, worry should trigger some things in our lives. You know, I heard someone say, awareness creates desperation, which stirs passionate prayer. Awareness creates desperation, which, cre- which stirs passionate prayer. When you're aware of, of something going on in your life, God moving, it creates desperation. Problems create desperation. Suffering, disappointments of life create desperation. But then in the midst of that desperation, it can stir within you passionate prayer. There was a story that I came across years ago. I thought it was so powerful. Been wanting to use it for a long time. It's, it's a story of a pastor who went and visited the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City. And the Brooklyn Tabernacle has always been known for it's a larger church. They've always been known for having these weekly prayer meetings. They have these prayer meetings on Tuesday night. And uh, about 4,000 people gather together and they pray for hours. The pastor, Jim Cimbala, was asked this question about prayer. How do you go about getting 4,000 people to come together and do nothing but pray for several hours? He said, well, you have to create an appetite for prayer. And he said, that appetite grows when we're desperate. I think there's many of us this morning that are probably very desperate for God to move in powerful ways in our lives, 
and in the lives of other people. Allow that desperation to drive you to Jesus. Allow it to drive you to the cross. Get desperate before God. Surrender, right? And, and don't pull God to your desires. Pull your life to God. Align your life to God. Here's point number two. We need to take all of our worries and bring them to God through prayer. So Paul is writing from prison to this beloved church that has partnered with him in the gospel. And he's giving some closing remarks. And he says, hey, don't be anxious, right? I mean, he's in a prison cell, right? Uh, very bad circumstances, but he says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The, the antidote to anxiety is prayer. So when you worry, what, what should we do? We go to God in prayer. We pour out our tears and our, and our heart before God. We get low, we get real, we get humble before God. We get in a, in a posture of, of, of humility and desperation and we ask God to move because he's merciful, because he's kind, because he's just, because he's good. You know, just like the antidote to materialism is generosity. You know, if you struggle with materialism, if you struggle, you know, I've never met someone, no one has ever come to me and said, hey, Pastor Elijah, I, I need to pray about something. Okay, what's going on in your life? I struggle with materialism. Never had anyone say that. But I think it's a very real struggle for a lot, for a lot of us. We, at times we do want more. We're not content with what we have. The antidote to materialism and, and wanting more and being consumed with stuff and, is generosity. It's not having closed hands, it's open hands. Okay, God, I'm a conduit. I'm going to be a funnel. I'm going to be generous because all of this belongs to you. You're the owner. I'm the manager. And so I'm going to, I'm going to manage your stuff with a, a willing heart. You know, when you do that, when you say, yes, God, use me. I'm going to be a blessing to other people. Then every time you give, you lose the, the grip of materialism off your life. And it's just like prayer and anxiety. Every time you pray, you lose the stranglehold that anxiety has on your life. That, that's, that's what anxiety does. I don't know if you've ever um, watched one of those discovery shows, you know, Animal Planet or whatever, but um, sometimes I'll just kind of tap into that because I'm just really, really bored and I just want to check out and veg out. So I just watch the safari animals, right? But uh, sometimes you see like they give you an image of a, of a python that's caught its prey and it starts wrapping its body around the prey and strangling. That's what anxiety does. Anxiety, the enemy gets a foothold in our lives with anxiety and he starts to strangle hold. He, he gets a hold on us. And, and it's a very powerful thing in our lives. Um, how do we deal with anxious thoughts and feelings Paul is saying you battle anxiety with conversational prayer with God. What is prayer? Prayer is talking to God. In its simplest, most fundamental, bottom shelf definition, it is talking with God. There's, there's no 
certain way to talk to God. Yeah, God gave us the Lord's Prayer, but that, that's a model. That's not something that God says, I want you to repeat this religiously. He actually addressed that in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Don't be a, a hypocrite, right? Don't be continuously like saying the same things. And that's what religious people do. Prayer is coming to God and being honest and real with God about where you're at in life. The book of Psalms is a, is a beautiful book. The, the psalmists were very raw, very real before God. And um, it's a great book to read when you're struggling, you know. I like what R.A. Torrey said. He said, prayer is the key that unlocks all the storehouses of God's infinite grace and power. And all that God is and all that God has is at the disposal of prayer, but we must use the key. Prayer can do anything that God can do. And since God can do anything, prayer really is omnipotent. Prayer is a powerful tool that God has given to us for our daily lives, for spiritual warfare, battling the enemy, and just being very honest and, and, and honest with God in a posture of uh, uh, in, in humility and being very trusting with God. You know, how does God answer our prayers? I think that's a good question. And I think sometimes we, we wrestle with this. God sometimes doesn't always answer our prayers with a yes. I think God answers our prayers several different ways. When you look at the Bible, sometimes God says no. Just flat out, no. And that's hard to swallow when you sense that God is saying no. Sometimes God says slow. Sometimes God says, grow. I want you to grow. And then sometimes God says, go. He gives us the green light. You know, when we pray with a wrong motive, um, when we pray with a wrong motive, that prayer isn't right. It isn't right. So I think in those situations, God says, no, I'm, I'm not going to answer that because our, our motives are wrong. The Bible says you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. That's what Jesus' little brother James said. So we can ask with wrong motives, and then God says, no, I'm not going to give that to you because that prayer is selfish. It's all about you, right? You're the end game of it. You want to be the, the, the beneficiary of, 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 um, of all that. When we pray, um, maybe the timing isn't right. Have you ever prayed for something and now hindsight's always better, but you know, you, f you realize at some point in your life, wow, that the, the timing wasn't right there. And God says, slow down, right? Time out, pause, not quite yet. Maybe you asked for something, but God didn't say yes to that till much later down the road. The timing was off. Maybe you weren't ready for it. Who knows? Um, when we pray and, and the request is right, so our motives are right, the timing is right, but maybe you're not right, right? The, the motive is right, the request is good, timing is good, but maybe you're not right, you're not ready. God says grow, and, and, and that's hard. When God says, you know what, I'm gonna grow your faith. I wanna, I wanna do um, some growth action in your life before I give this to you. Sometimes the request is right, the timing is right, and you're right. And in that situation, I think God says go. He gives the green light. And he says yes. And he answers our prayers. Did you know that prayer 
is a weapon to destroy strongholds. In 2 Corinthians 10, three to five, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. When Paul says, we are not waging war according to the flesh, here's what he means. We don't fight with armor. We're not fighting with guns and knives and swords. We don't fight with politics. We don't fight with money. The list can go on and on and on. The weapons of our warfare, Ephesians chapter six, the armor of God, the weapons of our warfare, prayer, the Bible, the sword of the spirit, the, the armor of God, these spiritual weapons have spiritual power. And the power that they have, they have divine power to destroy strongholds. So the question is, well, what is a stronghold? We all have strongholds in our lives. And God has given us the spiritual weapons to destroy those strongholds. Those strongholds could be, it could be a, um, a stronghold. Let me, let me break down a stronghold. A stronghold is a mental battle, a, a fortress, a prison. That's what it is. It, it's, it's barricades. It's like it's hard, to, it's hard to break into that. But God has given us spiritual weapons with divine power to break into those strongholds. Those strongholds that the enemy has on, on our lives. A stronghold for you could be maybe a worldview. You know, maybe, maybe you know, you're, you could honestly say, you know what, I'm, I'm a self-proclaimed atheist. You know, I, I grew up in an uh, atheist home or I'm an agnostic, right? Maybe that worldview is like it's a fortress, right? It's like that's all you've known. That's what you're holding on to. And you just, you just refuse to allow God to maybe move and speak to you. It could be more than just a religious worldview. It could be, there's so many other worldviews out there. It could be a personal attitude. It could be a stronghold, could be a personal attitude. It could be an attitude of fear. Maybe like your, your whole life has been marked by fear. You're just fearful of everything. Or maybe it's guilt. You've lived your whole life with this overwhelming, strong feeling of guilt and shame. Maybe it's resentment or insecurity. Maybe a personal attitude, a stronghold in your life is you are desiring the approval of other people always. Every decision you make, every step you take, it's about pleasing other people. It's about fear of man more than fear of God. A personal attitude, a, a stronghold is, I think, worry. I think worry and anxiety is a stronghold. The Bible says we tear down these mental strongholds. The end of verse five says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take captive every thought. What does that mean? To take captive every thought. Literally in the Greek, it means to control, to conquer, to bring into submission. Make every thought obedient to Christ. How do we do that? I think first we recognize those things. We recognize the, the, the personal attitude stronghold or that stronghold worldview in our lives. We, we take those sinful, negative, critical thoughts captive and we make them submit to King Jesus. How do we do that? 
We claim God's promises in his word. We take the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, and we take prayer, and we take faith, and, 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 and it, the, one of the pieces is um, we, we prepare our feet, right? So we share the beautiful good news. We take the armor of God and we put it on. But that's an intentional, deliberate choice to take on this armor, to do battle against the enemy. How do we destroy the, the stronghold of worry that's like a vice grip sometimes in our lives? We use the spiritual weapon of prayer to give us the victory over anxiety that wants to rob us from trusting in God's grace and goodness. Here's the third point, I gotta wrap up. Third point, God can replace your worry with peace. It says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when anxieties are removed through prayer, then peace can flood into your life. Peace and joy are, are closely tied, they're like cousins or interlocking circles. You can't have one without the other. Joy is internal, eternal. Happiness is external. It's, just, it's based on circumstances. Worry about, here's what Paul's saying. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. And when you do that, God's peace shows up. Charles Swindoll said, peace is the ability to stay calm in spite of the panic of unpleasant circumstances. I want you to think about this for a moment, and this really sums up the message. Conversational prayer about our anxieties will unlock God's peace within our lives. Conversational prayer about our anxieties will unlock God's peace within our lives. And that's what we need. We need the peace that surpasses all understanding. When you give up trying to fully understand why God does what he does and you simply trust him, that's when God's peace floods into our lives. Let's take Paul's advice. Let's not be anxious about anything. Let's seek the heart of God through prayer and then God's peace and his presence will flood into our lives when we get humble and low before God in prayer. Let's pray.